Welcome to the Hills, all of you in person at West Fort Worth, South Lake, and North Richmond Hills, and all of you watching online around the world. Now, if you were with us last week, uh, you heard a powerful teaching either from Jeremy Glover or Chris Hatchett or Taylor Walling as we continue to work through the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the Way of King Jesus, and we learn more about how Jesus wants us to pray. Now, I wasn't with you last week. As I told you two weeks ago, my wife and I went on a trip to celebrate our anniversary. And I want to thank all of you that sent words of congratulations. Now, full disclosure, our anniversary is actually tomorrow, okay? Uh, we learned a long time ago that if you go before Memorial Day on a trip, you get smaller crowds and smaller prices. So that's what we did. And we had a wonderful time together. Now, we also celebrated a very important anniversary yesterday, June the 4th. 1989, I began my ministry at the Hills Church and preached my first sermon. Jamie and I have now spent over half of our lives with this church. And the uh, blessings, oh, well, thank you very much. But honestly, I should be applauding all of you because we have received so much more than we've given. Uh, we couldn't begin to count all the blessings our family has enjoyed being in partnership with this church. But I want to share with you this morning one of the most important to me. And that is, for 33 years, I have known nothing but incredible support and encouragement from the eldership of the Hills Church. Even though that eldership has changed over the years, the support has been constant. And in particular, they have done one thing for 33 years that has especially affirmed me, and that is that they continue to affirm my judgment in choosing the preaching diet of this church, with one early notable exception. They rightly challenged me early in my ministry here because I never brought up the topic of money. Now, there were many reasons for that, but probably the chief was, when I began my preaching ministry, I wanted, above all, to guard my integrity. I never wanted anybody to wonder if I had a hidden agenda when I spoke with them about anything as a minister. It's why to this day, I have never known what a single member of our church gives, because I don't want that ever to be in the back of anyone's mind. And I knew when I began my ministry that many preachers had a reputation of only caring about money. There's a story of a boy that went over to a friend's house to play, and somehow he accidentally swallowed a couple of coins. He panicked. He got up. He ran out of the house. The mother chased him, saying, come back, and I'll take you to a doctor. He said, no, I'm going to see my pastor. Dad says he can get money out of anybody. And those kind of jokes abound because preachers sometimes get the reputation that all he ever talks about is money. And so I did it. I mean, for the first, really, 15 to 20 years of my preaching ministry, you could count on one hand. The times I talked about money. And the elders here were right to challenge me about that. But the thing that changed my attitude more than even their challenge was simply reading the Gospels. And I was shocked at how much Jesus talked about money. In fact, my preaching was impacted more by his preaching than any other single motivation. Jesus talks about money more than any other subject except the kingdom of God. He was probably the first preacher accused. 
that all he ever talks about is money. Now, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, and it has a context. Jesus has been saying over and over, good news, the kingdom of God has arrived. Good news, you can step into a life that is ruled by God. Good news, and right in the middle of this sermon about what it's going to look like when we surrender to God is this huge section about money. That one of the biggest ways that we enter into the narrow way of King Jesus is the new way we look at money. That he's given us a new way to invest. And so we're going to read one of the most powerful things King Jesus ever said about money. Here's the problem. Most of the people I'm talking to right now have heard these words so many times that I can read them and you don't hear them. I want you to put yourself in the audience that Jesus is talking to. Almost everyone he's talking to is a peasant. Almost everyone he's talking to lives below the poverty line. Almost everyone he's talking to prays for daily bread, not as a metaphor, but because they hope they have something to eat today. That's who he's talking to. Listen to what he said. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now again, what is the big idea of this whole sermon? Jesus is teaching us how to prioritize the kingdom of God. So you would expect him to say, you cannot serve God and Satan. Or you cannot serve God and sin. Or, or even you cannot serve God and self. But what he says instead is, you cannot serve both God and money. And as I read the Gospels over and over, and I read everything Jesus ever said about money many times, it just dawned on me. We tend to think about money immorally. It's neither good or bad. It's just what you do with it. Jesus almost always, when he talks about money, talks about it like it's a bad thing. That money is not some neutral commodity that must be stewarded. It is a seductive power that must be subdued. Or to put it another way, the king knows that money is after his throne. That's what he's saying. That money, or maybe I should say the powers behind money, because money's an idol and every idol has demonic powers behind it. That money is a rival God demanding your allegiance. That Jesus knew the one primary competitor to the throne that I'm claiming for myself is money. 
Because it will promise you everything only God can deliver. It will promise you status and security and meaning. You cannot chase that God and chase the Lord God. Now, here's the thing. We hear that. But we don't really believe it. We believe it's true for most people. Most people will really mess up their life if they love money too much. But I'm not most people. I can multitask. I can really, really, really go after money and really, really, really go after God. I can do that. And Jesus says, I'm not saying that's undesirable. I'm saying it's undoable. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm saying you can't do it. You cannot pursue money and pursue God at the same time. And here's why. Number one, neither God nor money will accept second place in your life. God, because he is God, cannot lie. God cannot say, okay, if I can't be first in your life, I'll take second. God, because he is God, cannot say, okay, I will sit on the throne with somebody and we will share the rule of your life. He can't do that. God cannot take any place but first place. Either he has it or he doesn't. You can have dual citizenship. You cannot have dual lordship. But there's a second reason, and that is that your heart can only go to one place at a time. Jesus knows this. You can't parcel up your heart and spread it out. You've got one heart, and it can be in one place. Your primary affection can be for one thing. So I heard a story about a preacher who came home early one afternoon. His wife said, why are you home early, honey? He said, strangest thing, I got a call from another church. They have offered me twice as much money. They've offered twice as much vacation time and twice as many benefits if I'll come and be their preacher. His wife said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to go upstairs and pray and seek the Lord. Good, I'll come with you. No, you stay down here and start packing. Here's what we know. You got one heart. And it can be in one place. Now, it's pretty strong preaching. I'm not doing it. I'm just delivering the mail, okay? I didn't write the letter. Jesus is speaking powerfully and prophetically. And remember, most of his audience live in poverty. Now, if he would speak that strongly to them, what would he say to us? Well, he would probably say, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, he did say it. Very, very hard for people with a lot of stuff to walk in the narrow way of King Jesus. Because Jesus knows that when money amasses, its gravitational pull grows. And that's why one time when a guy came up and said, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Here's what Jesus said. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus never had to say, watch out for any other sin. Jesus never says, watch out for adultery. Watch out for murder. Watch out for stealing and lying and drunkenness. Because when you do those things, you know you've sinned. 
But greed is a sin we can commit every day and not even be aware of it. It's no respecter of persons. The greed virus is a virus anybody can catch. And it's a virus almost nobody thinks they've caught. In over 40 years of preaching, I've had every sin I can imagine confessed to me. I have things I didn't know were sins confessed to me. And no one has ever said, Pastor, my struggle is greed. Money has too big of a hold on my heart. And if there's a reason, there's a reason why the infection is so hard to see. Did you notice that right in the middle of this conversation about money, Jesus drops in this uh, word about eyesight. He said, when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. See, he's using the metaphor of vision to illustrate the importance of where you focus your allegiance. So here's what he's saying. Money's after my throne. And when you let money have the place that only I should have, here's what first thing is going to happen. It blinds you. When money is enthroned, it blinds us. When the Bible talks about the lust of the eyes, it's talking about more than just illicit sex. The Bible is simply acknowledging this fundamental truth about life. You focus on what you treasure and you move toward what you focus on. You know what? You may not even believe a Christian. You may not even believe the Bible, but you've got to admit that's the truth. That is true about life. You focus on what you treasure and your life moves in the direction of what you focus on. I'll illustrate. For some years, I've tried a few times a week to go to a local gym to get a workout in. And over the course of these years, several times I've had this experience where I hear a shout, and then I hear a crash, and then I hear a moan. And you go to investigate. And somebody has had a very hard fall off a treadmill they were running on. How did this happen? You always find the same thing. They're running on a treadmill, and their body's going this way. But the TV they want to watch is over there. So they're trying to run here and look there. And inevitably, they misstep, and the result is disastrous. So I'm going to make a bold statement. You cannot stay in the way of King Jesus when your focus is on money. I'm not going to take that back. You can't stay in the way of King Jesus when your eyes are looking somewhere else. Good eyes are focused on Christ and his reign in the world, and bad eyes are focused on what you can obtain in the world. And when you do that, Jesus says, you're in the dark. And how great is the darkness? It blinds you. You're blind and you don't even know you're blind. The money, God will blind you to the temporality of stuff. People think they can get lasting joy from stuff that doesn't last. The rust and the moths and the thieves and the downturn in the economy, going to get it? I've told you before, my wife and I had a blessing the first year we were married. Only been married a few months. Got a first house. It's the first Sunday of cowboy season. I'm going to come home. She's making a roast after I preach. and We're going to watch on our little TV a cowboy game. And I think, man, I am finally an adult. And I come home from church and there's police cars in front of our house. And while we were at church, our house got robbed. And they, we didn't have much, but they took a lot of what we had. And it was gone. And I still look back on that as a blessing. 
Because we learned a lesson early. If you're going to have joy in life, it better not be in stuff that could be gone when you come home. Although I will say, there's a special place in hell for people that would steal a pastor's TV on the first Sunday of Cowboy season. I think, I think we all agree with that. But money worship blinds you to how fleeting stuff is. It blinds you to the inability of stuff to give meaning. That this nation worships a lie, life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. And study after study after study after study has proven that once you get above the poverty level, the increase in your net wealth does not correspond to the increase in your personal happiness. We know this. We've all been to funerals. And nobody in the eulogy says, I tell you, when they got that bigger house, their life just went right. When they got that new car, they finally found what life was all about. We never talk about the deceased in terms of how much they amassed and how much joy they got from it. We talk about the meaning they found by what they did with their life and what they gave away. But money blinds you to that. And maybe most of all, money worship blinds us to the anxiety that it produces. That when you let money become your master, it becomes a task master. And the stress it creates is unrelenting. We'll talk more about this next week. Isn't it ironic we're the richest nation in the history of the world and the most anxious that's ever lived? We go and we go and we go and we, we can't stop for a second. We're constantly on our phones looking at our emails and making our texts. We can't even talk to people during our meals. And we're going 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 and we're wearing ourselves out for stuff that is going to be future landfill. And that's why the very next verse Jesus says is this. And that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? There's a reason we call it MasterCard. Because not only does money worship blind us, but ultimately it binds us. The money God says, worship me, and you can own stuff. And Jesus says, you worship money, and stuff will own you. I'm still stunned when I remember something that happened early in my ministry. I've told this story before. I lived in Abilene, Texas. There was a lot of home construction around our church building. And one day, I got walked in off the street, clearly dressed as a construction worker, asked to see a pastor. He came back to my office. He was trembling. He was so nervous. He said, I got to show you something. He pulled out a picture. He had purchased from someone a Polaroid picture of a man in a white robe standing on a cloud. Now, clearly, it was a con. It was a double exposure of a Polaroid, and somebody had taken him for a ride. He wanted to ask an expert, is that Jesus? Now, I assumed that that experience of that picture had caused him to think that God is real and maybe he better get his life right. So I pursued that conversation. He stopped me in a second. Oh, wait a second. I'm not here because I want to be a Christian. 
I want to know if that's really Jesus, because if it's really Jesus, do you have any idea how much this picture's worth? Are you kidding me? He was so in bondage to money worship that if he had tangible evidence that Jesus is Lord, his first question is, what can I sell him for? Understand that behind money are dark powers, and they have one goal, our bondage. And that's why after giving that warning about greed, Jesus tells a story about a man with bad eyesight. He had a great year in his business. He had more crops than he could put in his barn. Now, that's a blessing. Think of all the people you can help when God blesses you like that. But what he thought was, you know what? I'll just build a bigger barn. I'll have more stuff than I've ever had. I can party all the time and life will be easy and good. He thought he was building a barn. But he was actually building a prison. His false worship blinded him to his neighbor's needs. It blinded him to his own mortality. You really think because you have more stuff, you get more days to live? And most of all, it bound him to a way of living that wouldn't allow him to join in on what God was doing in the world. And Jesus had a one-word assessment for someone who lives like that. He said in verse 21 of Luke 12, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. I was wrong in the first season of my ministry. I should have talked about money a whole lot more than I did. I hope in the last part of my ministry, I'll do better. Jesus' words are prophetic, and they need to be heard. And they need to be heard often. And don't misunderstand me. This is not necessarily a call to reject money. Becoming poor is a very poor way to be able to help the poor. This is a call and a word to reject money worship. Stop trying to make both and what Jesus said is either or. Jesus said you can serve money as the primary purpose of your life. Or you can seek the kingdom. What you cannot do is both at the same time. And yet, we've got to navigate the tension at the same time. Almost everyone I'm talking to right now has a Bible under your arm and a wallet in your pocket. In fact, most of you have a phone. And you've got a Bible and a bank on that phone. And both are constantly vying for your allegiance. You cannot serve God and money. But you can serve God with money. You can make money your servant, not your master. But you're not going to drift there. Not in this culture. Not in the world we live in. You are not going to drift into no longer worshiping money. 
So here's two things Jesus tells us we can do that'll help. Here's number one. If you're going to dethrone money, and that's what you're going to have to do. Money's going to try to climb up on the throne. You're going to have to push it off. If you're going to dethrone money, number one, check your vision. Everything about our culture is designed to get our focus off of the kingdom of God and on to the amassing of wealth. So having good eyes takes good discipline. I'll share with you some things that I do to try to help my eyesight. Number one is I commit to regular corporate worship. Some of you need to listen to me. You're missing church too much. There's a reason the people of God for thousands of years have gathered regularly because there is something about being with other people, singing praise to God, getting into the scriptures together and agreeing that this is what really matters that is good for us. And I have yet to find a single person that's drifted into money worship that didn't drift away from regular worship. Another thing that helps me is developing an attitude of gratitude. That's not a pithy little phrase. That is a deliberate lifestyle. I try to carve time every single day to pray a prayer that has nothing but thanksgivings in it. Usually it's the first prayer I pray every day. Here's why. Focusing intently on what I have keeps me from thinking about what I don't have. Practicing confession and mutual prayer. And we're not good at this. We can get together and we can talk about almost everything else, but we hardly ever want to get honest about the pool of money. This is what we need our community groups to do. We need safe places where we can be honest and pray for each other to fight this God. Oh, and one more thing. I would suggest an occasional trip to a junkyard. And look at all that stuff. And realize that just a few years ago, somebody was convinced that everything out there was going to make them so happy. Jesus said, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Check your vision all the time. And next, invest in the mission. Jesus is not removing the desire to invest. He's redirecting it. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now remember, Jesus has been announcing the good news that the kingdom of God has arrived. We're praying every day, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when he says, store up your treasure in heaven, what does he mean? He's talking about more than just the rewards that wait us. You can't write a check and put it in a bank in heaven. Here's what you can do. You can invest right now in what God is doing in the world. You can take the blessings God has given you and you can look for ways to help the kingdom grow in the world. And we're doing that. So many of you are doing that. With one of your most precious uh, values, your time. You're serving in Summer Spectacular. There's a group from South Lake that went to an orphanage in Mexico today to spend a week. You're going on Let's Start Talking trips. And you're volunteering for summer camp. And you're teaching our kids during our services. And, and you're advocating for asylum seekers. And you're tutoring in Academy 4. Yes, this is what we do. This is how we put our treasure in the kingdom of heaven. And then, of course... We're generous with our money. We bring our tithes every week. We have our harvest offerings and our renew offerings. And we just go over the top in outrageous generosity. 
Why? Because stuff doesn't last forever, but people do. And so does what we do for people in the name of King Jesus. And you are no fool if that's how you live your life. Richard Stearns for many years was the uh, head of uh, World Vision that gives food to the poor in the name of Jesus. He had a successful career in the marketplace. In fact, he was the CEO of Linux China when he got this offer and he felt God calling him to it. So he, they seriously downsized their lifestyle to take this job. So he's been in Seattle or at headquarters for a few months. He's in a six-year-old minivan with his son Andy and a big Jaguar pulls up brand new, which was kind of like the car that he drew, drove as one of the perks of his old job. And of course, his teenage son is... Uh, looking wistfully, saying, Dad, do you miss the old days? I guess they'll never come back. He said, no, Andy, they probably won't. Then his son said, you don't think you'll ever get back in the game for one last kill? What an interesting choice of words. Will you ever get back in the game for one last kill? And his father said, son, I think for the first time I'm in the real game. I think I'm in God's game. Now, Jesus has given us a hard word this morning because he loves us, because he knows what's good for us, because he doesn't want us to live in darkness. So, how's your eyesight? What are you doing to keep your focus on the kingdom of God? You know that we have helped start a Christian university in Uganda, Livingstone International University, and we've supported workers there for a long time. One of our families a few years ago uh, had an electrical problem in their home, and a fire started, and they lost everything. Uh, I'll show you this picture, and you can see they lost everything. And there's no home insurance in Uganda. They lost everything. The only thing that survived was a cross on the wall. And the missionary wrote me and he quoted from Matthew 6 about rust and moths and thieves. And he said, it's been a hard reminder that the only thing that lasts is the thing you do for Jesus. And then he said, we'll miss our stuff, but we've lost nothing of real and eternal value. And so, church, keep your eyes on King Jesus. His way is narrow, but his reward is forever. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, you know that sometimes the hardest messages to hear are the ones over the text we've heard all our lives. So give us ears today to hear how real, how seductive, and how dangerous money worship is. And give us, Father, the intention, the will, and the strength and courage to say, I'm ready, God, for you to show me what needs to change. So I can serve you and nothing else. Thank you, Jesus, for making us your 
treasure. We praise you and thank you in your name. Amen.